Okay. So my plan, this is my plan. My plan is to preach through Psalm 95 today, and then next week I would like to start in the First Timothy and work our way through First Timothy for uh, probably the remainder of the year since there's six chapters, and I usually give myself about a month a chapter. That'll give me six months to do it. But I think First Timothy will be really good to go through for the fact that it gives us instruction on what the church is actually supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, and how we're supposed to be doing it, and what it looks like. And so um, it's just not the first and second Timothy are called pastoral epistles, but they're just not for pastors, but it's for the whole congregation. So I think it would be good to go through first Timothy. So that's my plan. If Martin and Dick decide to, I should do something different, I hope they tell me before next week. Because that's my plan. So, and Dick's not here, so he he can't <laughs> say anything. So, uh, so anyways, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you again for your your goodness, Lord. That you are indescribable. You are unchangeable. Father, you are the one who has put a fire that burns in our hearts, Lord, to go and share the light of your Son in a dark world. Lord, thank you that you always go before us. Thank you that you are our victor. Father, today I just pray for those that aren't here, Lord, those that are at the art show, Lord, that uh, you would bless them today, that they would have thoughts of you today on this day that we come to worship you. Father, we pray for those that aren't here, that are sick, that aren't well. Pray, Father, that you would touch their bodies and heal their bodies. Even if it's mentally, Lord, that you would touch their mind and, and heal their mind. Father, we pray that there would be no disasters this week as we've had some craziness happen last week, but yet, Lord, I pray that we see your sovereign hand even in all of that. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Christ and all that he has done. And we just pray now, Father, that you would open your word to our hearts, that your spirit would come and convict us where we need to be convicted and encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you would be set on glorious display, and that your word would be planted deep in our hearts, Lord. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So I have to ask a question. Why did you come here today? It's a good question, right? Why do we come any Sunday? Do we come because our parents told us that we have to come? Do we come because... This is our little group, and it's our little social group. It's like our Elks Lodge where we all get together. Or do we genuinely come because we get to worship the King of King? We get to worship the Lord, our great King. And I hope it's that one. I hope we come and we gather together because this is a time when God's people can get together and worship Him. And Psalm 95 talks about this worship. It's actually part of the enthronement psalms, 
which can go from 90 to 106 or from 95 or 92 to 100, right in those areas. But those psalms talk about the enthronement of God and how great our God is. And this is where the psalmist comes in. Now, with this psalm, the psalmist, there's no, there's no uh, author to this one. Yet in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews gives David credit for this psalm. But yet there's no author there. So if you want to go with David, that's cool. If you want to go with no author, that's cool too. So, but what I want us to look at is the worship of our great God. And this tells us what we can do. So let's look at Psalm 95. And let's read verses 1 through 11. Let's read the psalm. It's not that big. The psalmist writes, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, and on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, and you put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of God. So we're going to talk about a couple different things. First of all, the psalmist talks about our rejoicing, the Christians rejoicing. When we come together, we are to rejoice. And this is verses 1 and 2. Look at them again. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with a song of praise. There is an invitation here. O come. This is the invitation. We are to come as believers in God because of what Christ has said. We are to come into his presence with rejoicing. Psalm 66 1 puts it this way Shout for joy to God, all the earth. 66 8 says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. In Psalms 118.1, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So we see through the Psalms that there are times when we come in and we shout to the Lord. And these words mean what they mean. They don't mean silence. They don't mean silence. Actually, in Psalm 95, if you have the New American Standard, it does say, shout to the Lord. That we are to come in and we are to shout, we are to rejoice. But I want us to look at a couple of things. This is a congregational thing. This is not an individual thing. Although, when we have individual wor wor worship, we should sing praises to God. 
I'm not discounting that. But look at what the psalmist writes. Four times he says, let us. He's not saying, let me sing. But he says four times, he says, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into his presence. Let us make a joyful noise to him. This is a group thing. It is a congregational thing. We are to come in and let us do this. Let us lift praises to God. Let us sing to God. Let us worship God. Not only that, but these words in these two verses, they're vocal, they're public, and they're praises to God. They're not silent. They're vocal. Let us sing. Let us do these things. Psalms 102 says it this way. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come in to his presence with singing. With our hearts joyful with singing. This is the Christian worship. This is the changed heart. We're to be thankful when we come in. Psalm 95.3 says it this way. It gives us reasons to rejoice. The reason to rejoice. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. This is our reason. Why do we come and we sing to the Lord? Why do we come into His presence with joy? Because He is our great God. Psalm 95.3. He is our great God. This is why we come in. He's our great God. Psalm uh, 86.10 says this way, For you are a great, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Psalm 96.4, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Jeremiah 10.10, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And His wrath, at His wrath the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. God is not a local God, and he is not like all other gods. Lowercase g. God is a universal creator and ruler of the whole earth. He is a great God, and he is due our worship. Think of it when it says that he has done wondrous things. Think of the wondrous things he's just done in your life. Maybe a job, maybe a promotion, maybe a pay raise, maybe your salvation. That he's taken you from darkness and brought you into light. He's done wondrous things and he's to be praised for these things because he is our great God. So what is he, be, what is he to be praised for? Look at Psalm 95. He gives us the reasons for he is great He's a great king above all gods, and he's to be praised for creation. When we look out and we look at creation, it screams God's glory, right? There's beauty in creation. There's beauty in singing, right? There is that. If we look at things that move us, the word of God can move us. It can make us feel, right? The Word of God can make us feel. Music, right, brother, can make us feel. 
It stirs the heart. It makes our emotions. And God's beauty in his creation can make us feel. I remember when we went to the Grand Canyon and I stood on that. I was like, it was awe. I was like, whoa. It was the first time I really felt insignificant. When I look at something so grander, God's creation, we come and we worship him for the beauty of his creation because the beauty of his creation shows the beauty of our God. We sing these songs and these songs should move our hearts because he's a beautiful God. He put the stars in the sky and he knows them by name. Praise him for the beauty of his knowledge, for the cosmos that we see, for his creation. He is to be praised for these things. He has made them with his hands. Genesis 1, 9 and 10. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. Again, in Jonah 1, 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, this is Jonah talking, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the seas and the dry land. And in, and in Nahum 1, 5, he says this, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth, heavens before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Could you imagine that? The mountains quake. Right? When Jesus died, we sing the song, The Power of the Cross. We've sang it in here before. It says, When the Maker, when its Maker bowed its head, the earth quaked. I think it says, As the earth quakes, the Maker bows his head. Even the earth understands who its Creator is. That when God descends onto the mountain, it melts away. This is how glorious he is. This is how beautiful he is. This is how we come and we worship him. We worship him for who he is. We sing praises to him for these things. Not only that, not only do we we worship him for his creation, but we have reasons that we should bow and kneel before him. Right? Look Look at Psalms again. Look at Psalms 95, 6 and 7. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This is literally talking about posture. Let us bow down. It's a submission. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, who is what? Our maker. He's the one who's made us. That means if we are made and we are created, that we are his. We should kneel and bow before him. Listen to verse 7. For he is our God and we are his people, his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. We'll stop there. So reasons. Why do we bow and we kneel? Brothers and sisters, we bow and we kneel because we are a redeemed people. We are a chosen people and God has redeemed us. He is our God. That is why we bow and we kneel. Listen to Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is the new covenant in the Old Testament. 
And this is what he says, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the redeemed people of God. This is who we are. See, this is what God has done. He's taken our heart of stone and he's removed it and he's given us a heart of flesh. And he's written his laws on our hearts. Not on stone tablets anymore, but on our hearts. This is the new covenant. Hebrews eleven sixteen says it this way. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. These are, these are people that were, that were chasing after God. They were chasing after God. This is the, the, the faith chapter. Right? They desired a better country. They desired a heavenly one. Does this talk about you and I? Or do we just desire a better United States? Do we desire this to be better? Because this is where we are. But are we desiring a better country, a heavenly one? Is our hearts screaming for heaven? Lord, come quickly is what the Apostle John says in, in Revelation. Come quickly. Is that the cry of our hearts also? Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He's not ashamed to be called their God because they are his people. We are his people. We should not be ashamed, brothers and sisters, to be called his people. He is a great God. He's a great God. Not only are we to bow the knee and worship him because he is a great God, but because he is our shepherd. He is our shepherd. Look again at the verse that says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. So if we're the people of his pasture, that means he is the shepherd, right? Psalm 23, 1 puts it this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as we look at that psalm, it tells us what God does for us, right? He leads us to green pastures. He, he takes us by still waters. When we have trials and troubles and we're in the valley of darkness, he is there with us all the way through and his rod and his staff comfort us. And not only that, but he prepares this banquet table of food and all these delights before our enemies and in the end we are here with him in his house this is his shepherding care for us brothers and sisters this is how he shepherds us this is how he leads us he is a kind shepherd he is a good shepherd and in first peter 2 25 it says this for you were straying like sheep but you have now returned to the shepherd Jesus, and the overseer of your souls. He shepherds our souls. He oversees our souls. He takes care of our souls. How does he do this? By us being in the word, right? Brothers and sisters, you want your soul taken care of? You have to open this up. And you have to read it. This is where God shepherds us. This is where he takes care of our souls. I'm not sure if I'm going to sneeze. Okay, that was unimpressive. But anyways, he takes care of our souls. And so if he is our shepherd, then we are his sheep, 
We are the sheep of his pasture. I mean, what a blessed thing. Do you guys see the intimacy here? He's our shepherd, and we are his sheep. Sheep stray. We've seen sheep, right? Sheep are dumb, right? They wander off. They get into stuff, you know? They, they, they wander off in the, in the wrong areas, and the shepherd's got to go get them and bring them back. And doesn't that describe us sometimes? We just kind of wander off and do our own thing. I mean, we kind of talked about it in Sunday school, right? You know, when we wander off and we do things that displease God, and then all of a sudden God's discipline comes because he loves us and it puts us right back on track. That's the shepherd who loves his sheep coming and bringing us back. Listen to what Psalms 103 says. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Wow. This should stagger us. This should stagger us. When we look at Ephesians 1, and it says that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world, what an intimate, what a particular, what a unique love God has for you and I. And he says it right here. Just listen to those words. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. Brothers and sisters, we are his property. We belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are in his hand, and no one can take us out of his hand. In that same chapter of John 10, this is what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is how John puts it. He knows us and we know him. We hear his voice. He calls us out. So we see that we have rejoicing in God in verses 1 and 2. Verse 3 gives us the reason for this (coughs) rejoicing. And that reason is is that he is our great God. Verses 5 and 6, 5 tells us that he has made us. And verse 6 tells us that we should worship and bow down. Why? Because he is our shepherd, and he is our great God, and we are the pasture. We are the sheep of his pasture. Now, what's the response? How do we respond to this? Well, the response is rejoicing, right? That's part of the response, is that we are to rejoice with God, with what he has done for us. But there's a different response. Look at Look at what the psalmist writes. He gives us a warning. This is our response. Listen to the warning. Verse 7. Look at the verse verse of uh, the end of verse 7. It says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We are not to be people with hard hearts. We have new hearts, right? That's the new covenant. The new covenant. We don't have a heart of stone anymore. We have a heart of flesh. We should not have hearts. We should not let uh, 
uh, our hearts be hardened. Listen to Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Do we do that? Exhort one another every day. Encourage one another every day. We need to be in each other's lives every day, exhorting each other, encouraging each other, praying for each other, lifting each other up. This is what we are to do, just not on Sunday, but we are to exhort each other. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what sin does to us. Sin hardens our hearts. That's why we need each other. We need each other. We need to be able to to come to each other and say, man, I'm really struggling. There's no Lone Ranger Christians in the Bible. No Lone Ranger Christians. Even even Elisha, when he was uh, uh, on the uh, on the mountain with the with the uh, uh, false prophets, and they were going to have uh, the fires come down, and he thought he was alone. But God says, "No, there's six thousand more that haven't bowed their knee to Baal." He thought he was alone. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone. We have each other. We need each other. The Bible tells us that we're to exhort each other daily. We're going to encourage each other daily. I hope, brothers and sisters, that we all, even though Faith Bible is small, it's a small church, but you want to know what? I hope we're in each other's prayers every day, that we would be encouraging each other every day so that our hearts aren't hardened. So look back here. It continues the warning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as it Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Now, this is where we, these words, Meribah and Massa, right? Go to Exodus chapter 17, if you have your Bibles. Go to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to have it up on the board, but this is where we're talking about is Exodus 17. This is where the Israelites were complaining that they had no water. They didn't have any water. And so they're complaining, (coughs) put God to the test. It was testing God, they're complaining. So just look at our complaining. Our complaining can do what? (coughs) Put God to the test. Because essentially what we're seeing when we complain is that, God, I don't like where you have me. That's what we do, right? I mean, that's simply what we're saying when we complain. It's real easy. So here's what we got. We got Meribah, translated means a place of strife. And Masa means testing or trial. It's a place in the wilderness where Israel rebelled. And this all can affect, this warning, this response can affect our worship. It can affect our rejoicing. It can affect our singing when we're grumbling and we have strife and we're testing God. It affects the worship because we are fighting Him to be God. And they were complaining. Look at uh, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. All the congregations of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandments of the Lord and camped at 
uh, Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. There's the problem. There's no water. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? No wonder why God says, I loathe these people for 40 years. Right? Look at verse 4. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand and the staff with which you and with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called that name of the place Massa and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This this was what was happening. They wanted water. They were grumbling. They were grumbling. God's not going to take care of us. Yet they forgot that they just got brought out of Egypt. That God did all these magnificent signs, these ten plagues. They came upon Egypt, and he redeems them out of Egypt, and they're worried about a little bit of water. Brothers and sisters, we do the same thing. God has taken us from the pit of hell, and he's put us into his kingdom of light. And are we going to grumble about a little water? Man. How pitiful we can be. How petty we can be. God has done magnificent things. He's done wondrous things in our lives. We should be praising Him for these things. Even the water stuff. I'm not making any pun towards your guys' water stuff, but I'm just saying, you know, even the little things, right? God provides graciously. Listen to Numbers 14.11. Listen to what God's responses on these things are. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? This is God to his people. How long will they despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Yeah, we're we're the same way. You know, I, I can't get over this just in my own life. In my own life, I was, I was sharing with Chad when we were having lunch that I, I, I question things when I study. Now, I, I sit there and like last week when we talked about worthy of God of our worship, do I really believe in my own heart that God is worthy of worship? Does God say this about me? Is he saying this about me, Mark? You know, how long will you despise me, Mark, when you see all the things that I have done? Does he speak to your heart that way like he speaks to mine? Do you despise him despite all the great things he has done in our lives? Or do we come in to his presence with singing and shouts of joy? This is what he's saying. Listen to Numbers 14, 22. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times? 
and have not obeyed my voice? Think about what the Israelites saw. They see this massive sea before them and this massive army behind them and they see Moses lift his hand and the sea go whoop and dry land. And they walk through. And yet God says this of them, these ten times they've put me to the test. I can't think that I wouldn't be the same way. That we see all these great signs. Again, Numbers 20, 13. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. And that's what God does, right? Through all of our quarreling, through all of our bickering, through all of our complaining, through all of all of that, what does God do? He shows himself to be what? Holy and set above and set on high in glory, splendor, and majesty. This is where our hearts should be, brothers and sisters. This generation, this generation that God said did not enter the Holy Land. He says in, at the end of this, right? He says in verse 8, Therefore I swore on my wrath they shall not enter my rest. They didn't enter the Holy Land. You know who else didn't enter the Holy Land? Can you tell me who else didn't enter the Holy Land? Moses. Moses didn't enter the Holy Land. Why did Moses not enter the Holy Land? Does anybody know? Right, he hit the rock one too many times. That's how holy God is. Hit the rock once, water will come out. Moses hits the rock twice, you don't go into the Holy Land. Wow. That's God to show himself holy. Numbers 14, 27. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Deuteronomy 1, 34 and 35. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. For 40 years they wandered in the wilderness because they tested and they put God to the test and they grumbled and they didn't get to see his blessing. Brothers and sisters, may that not be us. May we not be the ones who test God. May we not be the ones who have strife with God. May we not be the ones who put him and challenge him and grumble against him that we do not see his blessing. Please don't be this way. So to close today, I want to close with this one thing. As we look at this worship, as we look at our rejoicing, as we look at the response to our rejoicing, as we look at the reasons why we bow down, and we look at these responses, we have to understand one thing. We, as people, we will become what we worship. We will become what we worship. If you want to worship a theologian, you will become like that theologian. If you want to worship, if you want to worship a celebrity pastor, you will become like that celebrity pastor. But if you want to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you will become like Christ. To close, listen to Psalms 115. I don't have this in there. Just listen to Psalm 115, 1 through 8. 
Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Their idols, brothers and sisters, this is us, our idols. Put it this way, our idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak, eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel, feet, but they do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them, that's us if we have idols. Those who have them are idols. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Brothers and sisters, the invitation is there. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us bow the knee to God because he is our great God. He is our maker. He is our shepherd. And we are the pastor of his sheep. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this time. Just ask your blessing upon it, Lord. May you convict our hearts. May we be those who are quick to repent when we grumble, quick to repent when we complain. And Lord, we just thank you for this time. In your name, amen. Please stand, brothers and sisters, and let's shout to the Lord, our 